Welcome to the SBCA Podcast Component Connection. Looking at how businesses around the country are innovating to take advantage of opportunities in the construction supply chain. Now, here's your host, Sean Shields. Well, welcome, everyone. On today's podcast brought to you by the Structural Building Components Association and LMC, we are going to talk about multifamily. Multifamily builders have their hands full these days between the unavailability of materials to an acute on-site labor shortage. Component manufacturers can solve some of those problems and help general contractors stay on schedule and within budget. On the podcast today, we're joined by Samantha Briggs, Purchasing Manager for Crane Johnson Lumber Company and Mid-States Trust in Fargo, North Dakota. Sam, welcome to the podcast. Sean, very happy to be here. All right. Well, Sam, let's start by talking about Crane Johnson. Uh, you started as a lumberyard, but I see that you started a trust company in 1965. You guys were very early adopters. Uh, in addition to your roof and floor trusses, you now have a wall panel line as well. Uh, can you share a little bit with the listeners You know how your company grew, who you currently sell to, and sort of what prompted you to recently add your wall panel line to your product mix? Yeah, so Crane Johnson is a lumberyard headquartered in Fargo, um, actually started in 1883, and we have three different remote locations as well. In 1965, we added Mid-States Trust and got into the roof and floor trust business. So the the Primary customer base for our lumberyard is custom home builders, track builders, and the trust plant then got started doing roof and floor trusses or trust systems for customers of the sorts. Um, that's still our primary customer base at the trust plant as well. But then as Fargo was growing, as more commercial jobs came to town, more multifamily sorts of buildings and multi-use buildings. Um, we had more and more customers of ours getting into that and wanting bids on wall panels. So we, in the 2010s, dabbled a little bit in panels. We have a small table where they could build panels for smaller jobs at that time. And as we got more and more into it, then we ended up converting one of our lumberyard warehouses into an actual wall panel shop. Okay. So it was one of those where it's not like you jumped uh, into the deep end with wall panels. It was, you tried it out a little bit because the customers asked, you basically just built them on tables, just moving the labor basically from the job site to your production facility. And then over time, as demand grew for that, you sort of added a whole separate production facility. Exactly. Yeah. It started with um, smaller jobs, maybe more garages or apartment garages, things like that. And then now we've certainly got into this last one that was a commercial space on the bottom, apartment and condos up on the top four or five floors. And um, now we build the majority of our panels in the separate wall panel shop. Okay. I mean, you mentioned that, you know, you started out doing mostly single family, but now you're doing these these multifamily and commercial jobs. Like, what would you say is the sort of percentage split 
if you looked at overall sales, if you had to guess? Now, all of our wall panels, I would say 95% are commercial jobs. Okay. We throw a few um, garages in there or single family sort of, but everything that we do, everything that we do panels for would be the, the multifamily or multi, multi-use buildings. Sure. We certainly turn away business though, being that we can't get people. So yeah. we, being that our customers can't get framers, then it would be great if we could build more and more panels, even for single family homes. And we just, we just can't keep up with it. Uh, interesting. All right. So uh, you do more if you can. Uh, mm-hmm. I'm curious though, sort of as you, you started off with this wall panel line, you know, growing it slowly, I'm sure that you guys uh, confronted some challenges, right? You're, you're converting an on-site framing task to an off-site framing task. There have always been some, some challenges in that. So I'm curious, can you talk about how you went about sort of improving that product from where you started initially and uh, sort of got, you know, the, the job site, the framer acceptance of that product, you know, and I'm also curious, were you able to, um, to make wall panels profitable or are they just sort of part of your overall framing package? Yeah. So a big part of getting set up for these commercial sized jobs was having the space. So we have now that we converted the one warehouse to an actual wall panel plant, they've got the proper aspida saw that actually is more for those types of jobs. They've got a crane in there. So it's taken a little bit of the actual manual labor and just adding a little more automation. So that was a a key part Mm -hmm. in being able to do these sorts of jobs. And then I actually spoke with one of our designers um, over the last couple of days and I, I posed the question to him. He's our main panel designer and he probably does about he said about 30 to 40% of his design work is for panels. And he's been around since the beginning that we got into it. And I posed the question to him, what was the most challenging part of getting into wall panels? And he said, just learning the software. Mm. Okay. And once you learn the software and work through those bugs and challenges and quirks and all of that, then it kind of becomes more of just, um, you know, just part of your regular, regular business, I guess. Sure. Wall panels certainly started as something that weren't very profitable. It was almost just whatever you made was just kind of extra gravy on top of everything else on top of your regular business. Now it's become a big portion of the business and um, certainly brings in other business as well. So if you look at the whole package, it has turned into a profitable business. Excellent. Okay. Yeah, I don't know if, if your designer sort of weighed in on this, but I would imagine getting the, the on-site labor to start install, you know, go from framing those walls in the field to installing wall panels was, were there any challenges to overcome there just in the, I, I don't know if you want to think of it as like job site education, or if it's just uh, additional training, or did you have to send people out to sort of help oversee that initially? Well, labor has always been a challenge at the trust plant. Um, and certainly over the last couple of years, when there are labor shortages in industries everywhere in our region, it hasn't improved. So getting labor or shop production help is is difficult. 
Once we build the panels, we deliver them to the job site, and then our customers' framers still actually erect the panels. Okay. So we, we have a CDL driver that's trained on a crane, so it did some with come with some additional training there. Mm-hmm. But in terms of actually putting up the panels, it's still our customers that do that. Okay, and they took care of all that. Mm-hmm. All right, so I want to pivot a little bit. Uh, you're the purchasing manager there for the company for all your locations. When did you start again? So I started in March of 2020. <laughs> All right. So <laughs> I guess when people throw around the term uh, normal lumber market, you're like, uh, isn't, isn't this normal? <laughs> what is your company strategy sort of for reducing your company's exposure to so this highly volatile lumber market we find ourselves in? I haven't done the, uh, the purchasing for the lumber yard and for the lumber at the trust plant my entire time has been in what we could call a COVID market. So I basically became the purchasing manager right when the the market took a strong downturn with everyone not really knowing what was going to happen to our industry. We didn't know that we'd be essential and all of that. And then ever since then, we became essential. The building market went crazy and... um We've just been on a little bit of a joyride here, I guess. So I don't. I'm so glad you can describe that as a joyride. (laughs) (laughs) Just being polite. Everyone said after my first year, well, it can't get much harder than that. So I'm sure you kind of uh, get exposed to a little bit of everything. And you, you really do. You learn what works and what doesn't, and you learn what you should do and shouldn't do in a really fast way. So I don't really have a basis for normal in terms of inventory and lead times and pricing and all of that. Um, but obviously, it's been a very volatile market. You got thrown in the deep end on that that one, right? Yeah. Yeah. So with that in mind, I mean, uh, this volatility is is killing component manufacturers. It's just so difficult to you know put out a bid and have any comfort in that bid being good for uh, any length of time, right? And so I know we've talked on this podcast a lot in the past about, you know, how component manufacturers sort of manage their risk and their exposure to these kinds of things. You know, what strategies have you adopted as a purchasing manager to sort of help uh, reduce your company's exposure to sort of all this volatility? Well, obviously, when you do the purchasing, you want to try to find any sort of buying opportunity. That would be the goal. It's been a time when it's hard to find the right one. So what you just need to do is you need to really manage what inventory level you can have on hand and feel comfortable with. You have to decide what that level is. And if the market takes a downturn, you're going to lose some money because what you have here will be overpriced. And then in addition to that, making sure that you have the correct inventory level and also not holding quotes longer than you would be able to cover them. So I think that's interesting. Uh, You made that comment when we had an initial discussion and you mentioned that, uh, you know, your bid only lasts for 24 hours. And I have to admit that that absolutely floored me. When you mentioned that, I immediately started talking. Every time I had a conversation with a component manufacturer, I asked them, so I'm just curious, like right now, what what is the length of, you know, how long is your bid good for kind of thing? And the shortest duration I found from anyone, and this again is probably only like about 20 companies, but um, the shortest duration I found was two weeks. 
And when I told them I had talked to somebody who had a 24-hour uh, bed duration, they were like, what? How? How? So I I know a lot of people are going to be very interested to know sort of how you arrived at like, our beds are only going to be good for 24 hours and how you you sort of gained market acceptance of that. So walk me through that. Yeah. And I've, after hearing your, and, and seeing your feedback on that, I've asked others as well. So I don't know if that's a regional thing because everybody around here is not holding their quotes. When we, when we do these commercial jobs, they are good for 24 hours. Hmm. Every price that we are given is subject to price, subject to availability, subject to prior sales. So the very next day, you could go back to that mill and that material is not there anymore. Yeah. And the way that we handle these commercial projects is if we get the project, we go out and cover the material. We don't have all of that material just on hand already because we can't have all of that in case the market took a downturn. So we go out and cover it when we get the project. And mills historically do not hold prices. Right. If if anyone was holding prices, it's always at our level, yeah. which means we are the ones holding the risk. And these days, if you're not holding prices, you've got to be either you have to pre-buy the material or else you must be giving yourself enough cushion in order to save yourself in case there were a price increase of some sort. The hard part is in this, with all this volatility, I mean, in the last three weeks, Western SBF is up 15%. That's a lot of cushion that you have to build in if you're going to be holding your prices. Right. And 15% sounds, I mean, historically, that would be unfathomable, right? In that short period of time. Now that's sort of like, well, who knows? It could go up 25% in a week. And some people would not even bat an eye at that, right? It's it's that right. kind of uh, new territory, or or old hat yes. for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly, uh, exactly. So, one thing you said that I just wanted to follow up on, which I found was an interesting statement. So, like you you land that job and you immediately go out and cover the material. What does that mean? Like, what's your process there then? For example, the project that we got in the last week or so was a large commercial project and so when we got the signed proposal back i went out and covered all of the fire treated material that that project was requiring so that can mean a couple things depending on what the market is doing if you want to play the market or or depending on how much risk you want to take on we could wait and cover that if we think that we can get it for a better price and still get it in time. Or what we did with this one is we went out and purchased all of the material that we had just priced to our customer. Hmm. And is that because you know that project's going to start relatively soon or what? That That's because we guaranteed that price to them and it will be starting in April or May, which means ordering the material last week, I will get the material in April. So basically just in time. <laughs> just in time. All right. Just in time. <laughs> so in this particular case, those two things align. So, okay. And so I'm also curious. So sometimes do you cover by getting into the futures market too, or do you do any of that? We don't do okay. any futures. Okay. We, we haven't up until this point. No. Excellent. All right. 
So Sam, last question for you. Um, I understand that you are part of a family business uh, that Crane Johnson has been operated by one family business, and uh, you are a new generation that's come in uh, to work there. Is this something you always intended on doing? No, I actually went to school to be a teacher and I taught high school math for a couple years. At the time, my dad was the president of Crane Johnson and I was, I just kind of ended up working in the lumber business. I had worked in the summers during college at Crane Johnson and after pursuing teaching for a few years, got into the purchasing and IT side of things at Crane Johnson. Excellent. So I find that so funny because it's sort of like, well, you get into lumber purchasing uh, for Crane Johnson and immediately the, the the market just is the craziest thing in the world. So, <laughs> But I guess you're used to it. I mean, being in a classroom, that's just a bunch of chaos too, right? Yes. <laughs> and you're either teaching high school kids or at the time I was training our employees on our computer software and training and teaching adults is not necessarily any easier than teaching high school kids. <laughs> no, no, I bet not. Uh, I, I'm always interested. Our industry is full of sort of these family-run businesses and whatnot. And, and when you have multiple generations sort of getting involved, I, I'm always sort of curious as to whether or not that was intentional or, you know, you just sort of fall into it because it seems that those people land in both camps. It, yeah, it's funny because a lot of people who end up in this industry didn't have any intentions necessarily of getting there. And then once you're in, you kind of stay in. And that's because it's a great industry to be in. It's a great group of people nationwide in the building industry. And once once you're in, you don't really leave. <laughs> <laughs> well, Sam, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Yes, thank you. Fun to talk with you. Well, if you've enjoyed what you've heard, please give this podcast a favorable rating and share it with others. Also, consider subscribing to SPCA's Component Connection podcast on whatever platform you use most. That way, you'll immediately know when we publish our next podcast. I'd like to thank LMC for connecting Sam and I for this podcast. We'll be talking with more SPCA LMC members in future podcasts. This has been a Component Connection podcast brought to you by SPCA. If there's a topic you'd like us to cover in a future episode, send it to podcast at sbcacomponents.com.